Well, quick, uh, quick homework for you, or quick, quick pop quiz for you, I guess, more so than homework. Last week, we, uh, in the series talking about Sabbath and be still, I challenged you. I said for the rest of this year, go home and, or not go home, but the rest of this year, break for one day a week, you know, for the rest of 2023. How many of you have already failed at that? Don't show me your hands. It's okay. It's it's all right. You can just answer that one to yourself. I would like to welcome you to Crossroads. If you're uh, here with us in person, if you're joining us online, we're glad that you're here with us today. Uh, Honored that you've carved out a little bit of your Sunday morning to be here with us as we worship together. My name's Kurt. Uh, We're in week three of the series called Be Still, where we are focusing on what we said kind of from the beginning is, I think whether it's the most forgotten about or not, I don't know, but definitely the least followed commandment to, to remember and observe the Sabbath. Uh, and, and so far over the course of the series, we've just talked about what it is. We, we talked about what rest is. Last week we talked about the importance of the rhythm and, and why we should break once a week for the Sabbath. And, and today we're going to take kind of a little bit of a different step and talk more about the need to break. Last week was more about getting into it. Today we're going to talk more about resisting that push and why that's so important to us to stop and to slow down. We told you that uh, with the fourth commandment, it's the commandment where heaven meets earth. It's the first three are upwardly focused, you to God, you connecting with God, your relationship with him. The last six are outwardly focused, or they're your relationship with other people. And in between there is, is getting that little taste of heaven. It's, it's reconnecting with God so you can better connect with other people the way you go. I heard a phrase this week, heard a quote this week, that uh, kind of stuck with me, and it really describes us as a society today, the society that is just driven for accomplishment and driven for acquisition and driven for more and more and more. It gets going faster and faster and faster. And the quote I heard was this, we work more than ever before, we have more than ever before, and yet we're still unhappy. How many of you, without showing me your hands, I don't want to see your hands, you could say, wow, that just described me. A lot of us, maybe that describes, like part of that describes us. Like maybe you're working more than ever before or you currently have more than ever before. But what those two things tend to lead to is this mindset, this idea that if I just do more, if I just have more, everything's going to be fine. And we've talked about this, I've mentioned this before, you know, we can do things to fulfill one another, we can do things to bring joy to one another, we can be there for one another, to an extent, to a point, but eventually we run out and, and we let ourselves down, we let other people down. That's just our human nature. We said at the, the beginning of this series, God rested, which is funny because God doesn't need rest. He doesn't grow tired or weary, it says in Isaiah, but we do. We do grow tired and we grew, do grow weary and we do run out of energy at times. And, and so therefore, I think it's important that we stop. But we, I think, have lost sight of that in this society where we're at today, where everything is predicated on speed. Just think about this for a minute here. A lot of you probably remember uh, being in school when you were younger and reading about the Pony Express, you know, really one of the first ways to get mail across the country. And it would take days, if not weeks, for that to get there. But, you know, jumping ahead maybe to a, a newer day in time, a lot of us grew up in a, in a generation where we wrote letters, if you wanted to get something to somebody, you wrote a letter, you put a stamp on it, you stuck it in the mail, and it would show up a few days later. 
had a cousin uh, that's a couple years older than me that lived about 45 minutes away growing up. And we were, we were close, you know, but I didn't get to see her as much as my other cousins that lived in town. And so we tried doing the pen pal thing for a while, and I think we realized this is kind of dumb. Like, it takes a week to hear back from her. So and that's the days of long-distance phone calls. So, you know, I couldn't be on the phone that often when it's, you know, having to pay by the minute for long distance. Man, the, the 80s were a weird time, right? You know, but think about where we're at today. Instant messaging. You can send a direct message to somebody on the other side of the world and they can get it like that. And where before you might go a week or two, like, man, I can't wait to hear back from that person. Now it's like, it's been five minutes. Text me back already. Like, there's no way you're doing something that's that important. It's me you were talking about here. Text me back, right? We think about how fast everything is. Instant messaging, fast food options. I went to Taco Bell the other day because I decided to hate myself for the afternoon and uh, was sitting in the drive-thru line. Not, not joking. It was, well, about any of it, really, but uh, right at the part where I was the next car to actually turn into the line. So I saw it an escape. I sat there for five minutes and we didn't move. I'm like, all right, it's not that fast. I don't want that taco that bad. So I left and went somewhere else. Like, you get one job. Get me a taco that I'm going to regret eating, okay? Like, that's all I want. We, we have express buttons on our microwave. We bought, moved into our house two years ago, and, and the appliances were left there. The microwave was one of them. I'm like, this is a nice one. I'm like, it doesn't have express buttons. Now think about this for just a minute here. It takes a minute to heat something up in the microwave, and I'm annoyed because I have to push four buttons instead of one. <laughs> you ever hear the phrase first world problems? That is an exact first world problem right there. But that's, our, that's where we're at. We are so predicated on speed these days. Everything, everything has to be fast. And here's the danger with that. When everything is fast, we have to go fast to keep up. And going faster than you should, especially for longer than you should, can be dangerous to you and to other people. Think about this in terms of, of just a physical race. If you're going to run a marathon, and there's a lot of metaphor out there that life is a marathon, if you sprint out of the gate, you will not make it very far. Like if I were to take off on this end of the gym and sprint to that end of the gym, I would make it to about where I'm standing right now. And that's about it. That's probably a pretty good indication that I need to start working out, okay? That <laughs> I need to get back in shape. If I go slow, or I can make it there easily. But if I take off and sprint, I'm not going to make it very far. That principle applies and, and is used so many times. We have the phrase, it's a marathon, not a sprint. That applies to us. And sometimes even in that long race, you've got to stop and pause for just a moment. And we have to do that same thing with our lives. When we go fast for longer than we should, we run out of energy and we run out of steam. And that's where we get ourselves into trouble. Remember our theme verse for this entire series, Matthew chapter 11. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, from gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We just sang that song a few minutes ago, the hymn of heaven. That's, that's one of my current favorite worship song. Because we just get this glimpse in that song of what heaven is like. And I love how it just talks about standing face to face with Jesus. No more death, no more pain, none of that. But we're not there yet. 
Sabbath gives us just a little bit of a, a little bit of a taste of what it's going to be. Spending time with God, with nothing else, that we're, we're pushing all the worries and cares away, pushing all the burdens away that allows us to connect with him. And the faster we go, the more we lose that. Like I would say the faster you go, the less time you give yourself for connection with Jesus and with others. Because all you're focused on is what's next. What's, what's tomorrow hold? What's the next meeting have? What's the next project have? What's my next kids practice have? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we are just on the go, nonstop. And, and not only are we physically on the go, but yes, we become mentally and emotionally and spiritually on the go as well too. And we don't give ourselves enough time to stop and abide in him and reconnect with him so we can better connect with others. We're going to read a story that they found in Luke chapter 10 that I think shows us a good example of this. How we get so caught up in the busyness of everything, the busyness and the worry of detail that we lose sight of what's right, right around us. Luke chapter 10, Jesus is in a town called Bethany, which is just immediately east of Jerusalem, just on the other side of the, of the Mount of Olives. And it says here in, in verse 38 of Luke 10, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. We're gonna pause here for just a second on this because Martha, we're gonna read more about Martha later in Jesus' story. Martha has at least two siblings, two that we know about. She has a younger sister named Mary, I'm assuming younger, and I'll explain why here in a minute, and a brother named Lazarus. And Lazarus, you probably know about him because Lazarus has the unfortunate thing of dying, okay? And that's the story. Jesus comes and raises Lazarus from the dead, and, and it's to Martha that he looks at her and says, I'm the resurrection and the life, and brings Lazarus back out of the tomb. But just pay attention to the details of this story, okay? Martha opens her home to him, Okay? Look at verse 39. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listening to what he said. Okay? Martha does what a lot of us do, especially maybe a lot of you ladies. Somebody drops by your house unexpectedly, what do you do? Run to the kitchen, let me put on a pot of coffee, let me make a pitcher of tea, let me see if I've got, you know, Jennifer's like this. She's like, let me throw some brownies in really quick. Like, it's just, we need something to entertain our guests. We want to be good hosts. And Martha, that's where she goes. She goes to the kitchen and she starts trying to get something ready for Jesus. And Mary, where does she go? Right to Jesus. I'm just guessing here. There's nothing in the Bible that says this. This is me guessing. Martha's the older sister. And I say that because she's focused and obsessed on the details and the preparation, and it's causing her stress. Mary's obsessed with connecting and being present in the moment, and that's giving her joy and freedom. And I see this play out sometimes, this next verse, in, in my own family at times. Look at verse 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Jesus and asked him, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work myself? Tell her to help me. I love this. She's ordering Jesus to order Mary to go do something. Okay? Pay attention here to the key part of this verse. Martha is distracted. Jesus is literally in her house, and she's distracted. She's distracted by what needs to be done. She's caught up in the details. 
Jennifer is an, the oldest sister out, out of three girls. And I don't know how many times we have been together with their family, and, and I will hear one of them say to the other, be nice if you put your phone down and came in here and helped us. Like they get at each other. It's a point of contention. And I think too often a lot of us are Martha in this story. She's distracted. And notice this, she's doing something that's good. Like she's working. She's doing something that in her mind needs to be done. But sometimes distractions make us focus on good things and in the process we miss better things. And that's what's happening here. I see this play out a lot in ministry. I see this, this idea of Martha. I know I can be a Martha a lot of times. And especially if you're in ministry, if you lead one of our teams, you can be Martha very, very easily. I don't know how many times we're gathering in this room, whether it's for prime time or whether it's for some sort of event or function. And when we're done, what do we do? We all pitch in and we all clean up. We put the chair, we stack the chairs, we put them up. We clean up the tables, we put them over here in the room. If it's, you know, one of... Uh, Matt's functions were cleaning up usually Nerf darts or something like that in here. And what inevitably happens is somebody on your team starts talking to somebody else, and what do you do? Thanks for the help. Okay, my stepdad likes to refer to me as a blister. He says, I'm really good at showing up when the work's done. <laughs> and often, I don't even know he's working. I just happen to show up and I'm like, oh, I just finished, good timing, you know. Some of you are just now getting that. That's okay. It'll come to you later. But here's the thing we've got to be aware of. It's very easy to have a Martha mentality of doing a job that you think needs to be done because it does need to be done. But you look at it and you see somebody who's just spending time with somebody else and your immediate reaction is one of resent, one of irritation, one of frustration. And in that moment, it's important to stop and remember that conversation over there might actually be a very, very important conversation. This is, I'm usually on the flip end of this. A lot of times when there's a function, I'm the one in the conversation. And I feel bad for not being over here helping. Not that bad, but a little bit bad for not being over here helping with whatever's going on. And sometimes those conversations on the surface aren't important. We're talking about the Chiefs game the next week. Or we're talking about a show that we both watch during the course of the week. We're talking about barbecue. Or we're talking about something that on the surface might not matter. But sometimes that conversation's a connection point that's going to lead to another conversation later. Or maybe, just maybe, in that conversation about something that doesn't ultimately matter, I say something that I don't even realize I'm saying that that person needed to hear. Maybe, just maybe, it's a divine appointment or a divine interruption and too often, we don't allow ourselves to stop so that we can be present in that moment. That's what we see here with Mary and Martha. Martha is obsessing over the specifics. Mary is simply enjoying being with Jesus. She's simply enjoying being here in this moment to the point where it's irritating her older sister. I've got two girls, and I know... It doesn't take much for the younger sister to do something to annoy the older sister. Just breathing annoys the older sister. Last night, Jennifer, we were at dinner. She goes, what's wrong with Elsie? I said, Amelie exists. That's what's wrong with Elsie. <laughs> if we decided to have another child, that's what's wrong with Elsie. 
Look how Jesus responds to her. Verse 41, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Mary has chosen what is better. Spending time with the Lord. What he's telling Martha is, hey, those things aren't that bad, but they don't matter right now. I just need you to come spend time with me. I just need you here, at my feet, just like your sister. Just be here. I think it's interesting, in this passage, there's three adjectives that Luke uses to describe Martha. He uses one, and Jesus uses two others. She's called distracted in verse 40. She's worried and upset in verse 41. That's what Jesus calls her. I want you to look at those three words for just a minute here. Distracted, worried, and upset. Because how many times are you one of these and not at least one of the other two? These dovetail together. Distraction is caused by all those details around us, especially when we've got to go faster, we've got to get more done, we've got to get more accomplished. And the more we get all of that, we we worry about that. We worry about having that done, and worry often leads to being upset. In the Greek, this word upset is really more translated as troubled. And it's used other places in scripture to be outwardly directed towards somebody else. I think another way we can say it is you're frustrated or you're irritated or you're agitated or you're just straight up annoyed with somebody else because of what they've done. That's Martha in this moment. Jesus is saying you are irritated at your sister because she's not doing what you think she needs to be doing. She's doing what I want her to do instead. And we forget in those moments that that's often where hurry and rush leads us. And we forget what we talked about last week, that Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which translates as to stop, to cease, to slow way down. What I want to do today is just look at three different people that slowing down will help you connect better with. Last week we talked about specifically why. Why do we need to break once a week? Today I want to look at the benefits from that. When you stop, who does that help you connect with? And I think these three people are are all very, very important in your story. And I don't think that we should cheat any one of the three. The first is slowing down helps you better catch up and connect with yourself. This is a topic I think sometimes in church we don't like to think about or bring up because there's often two extremes when it comes to thinking about yourself. You've got the people over here, and that's all they think about. It's all about me. Look out for number one. There's that arrogance about them, that pride about them. And we see people like this. You know people like this, that it's all about themselves. And so often, especially in the church, what do we do? We come all the way over here, and we never take care of ourselves. We don't give ourselves the time. We don't focus on ourselves. And yes, the Bible tells us to live sacrificially. It tells us to give. It tells us to live outside of ourselves and be outwardly focused. And that's what I want us to be as a church is be outwardly focused. But at some point, if you never take care of yourself, you're not going to last very long. No, Sabbath allows us to take care of ourselves, to give ourselves physical rest that we need, and mental rest that we need, and emotional rest that we need, and spiritual rest that we absolutely need. Because when you take one of those four away, often the others suffer. And often the others aren't far behind that either. No, break and give yourself rest. Sabbath does not mean life is all about you. Because in that moment, it's actually about you connecting back to God. 
We break and we pause because we just can't go full speed, full pressure forever. There's an old Native American proverb that says your bow will break if you always keep it bent. You pull a bow back and you never let it go. Eventually, that's going to wear out. Whether it's wood, whether that's some sort of composite, eventually something will snap on there. It's made to be released. And that's us. Occasionally, we need to take a release and just be with God and break and rest with him. The second group that slowing down helps is slowing down helps you catch up and connect with those you love. Helps you better connect to those around you. I think often we lose sight of this because we get too wrapped up in what we do. And I told you this a couple of weeks ago, that often our busyness stems from the need to, to be recognized, to feel important, or to feel valuable. And at the core of that, ultimately, is pride. But it's pride, I think, that plays out in one of two ways. It plays out, again, over here in the arrogance. Look how important I am. Or over here in the insecurity. I've got to prove how valuable I am because nobody believes in me. And I told you guys from the beginning of this series, kind of my full disclosure, there's times I'm both. There's times I'm over here, there's times I'm over here. Sometimes I'm both at the same time. That doesn't really make sense. (laughs) But I'm probably not the only one. No, we've got to stop and pause because we remove ourselves as the middle of what we're doing so that we can focus on what we should be doing and who we should be spending our time and our life with. God put people in our lives for a reason. He gave us a family or friends for a reason. And I think it's important for us, especially dads in the room, if you've got young kids, be there with them and be, be there for them. I grew up in a generation where my, my dad is a baby boomer, kind of towards the back end of the baby boomer generation. But he grew up in the generation of I'm the man of the house, I'm the dad of the house, I will do whatever I have to do to provide for my family. My dad worked hard, he worked a lot of overtime, he picked up a second job. Now he was always there for us, don't get me wrong, but those took a toll on him. My dad was a police officer, that took a toll on him. And I've told him, I said, I didn't enjoy you very much when I was growing up because that weighed on you, I saw what it made you become. And I saw how how you had to focus on that so much. And I heard something a couple of years ago that reminded me of that time that often kids, when they they see the the toll that a job takes on their parents, they ultimately want no part of that job. I decided very early, I don't ever want to be a cop. I don't ever want that because I saw the stress it put him under. Now take me where my job is today in ministry. If, If my job gets to a point where it takes me away from my kids, not only do they eventually want no part of ministry, they don't want any part of church. It's a staggering number of statistics of of pastors' children who have grown up that don't even come to church anymore because they saw what it did to their parents. I want to be there. And dads, I want you to be there. Moms, I want you to be there for your kids. Be there for each other. Be there for your, your, your loved ones. Slowing down helps you with that because it takes you out of the focus and it allows you to let other people in. But number three, slowing down allows you to connect with and catch up with Jesus. And ultimately, that's what's most important to your spiritual life. And I think this kind of shows itself in two ways. Because when you connect with Jesus better, 
The more you're able to connect with him, the more you're able to abide with him, then the more you're able to give outwardly to others. And that's ultimately our mission. That's ultimately our goal as a church is to to take the gospel into our world, to go and make disciples of all nations, to go seek and save the lost, to go bring life and bring it to the full, and to go lead and and, and shepherd others. That that kind of presents itself in a couple of ways. When you slow down and you connect better with Jesus, it allows you to be all there. Now think about what I mean with this. How many times are you with somebody and they're there physically, but they're not really there. They're constantly on their phone. They're constantly distracted. Or maybe they're not either, but, but you can just, they're staring off because there's something on their mind. And they're hearing you talk, but they're not hearing you talk. I, I'm guilty of that at times. I'm guilty of that at times. Because I'm always focused on, man, there's, there's an email I got I got to respond to. There's a meeting tomorrow that I'm really not looking forward to. There's a big project I've got to get done. Can I tell you something? That stuff can all wait till tomorrow. Let tomorrow worry about that. That's not easy to do. But I can just tell you this. Since we've moved here, I've tried to make it a point when we're at the dinner table especially to have my phone in the other room. I don't always do it. There's times I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of it. Especially if, you know, my kids want to see something and I've got to go grab it and look it up and show it to them. But my last, my, one of my, my last places I was at, man, I got emails all the time. I got text messages all the time. Wanted me to fix something right then and there. I let it take a toll on me. I did. And it drove me to a place I didn't want to be. And so I'm just making a point. You know, if one of you texts me or messaged me, I told you this the other day, I told you last week, there's times I don't respond to you that easily or that quickly because I don't have my phone on me. And I broke my watch the other day so I don't even see it on my watch anymore. So you're just... You're just out of luck. Got to wait, a, maybe wait a bit, and then I'll message you back. No, that, that email can wait. That meeting will happen tomorrow. Worry about it tomorrow. Too often we're so focused because we need to get there. We need to do this. We need to just keep going and keep going and keep going. And we get stuck in the rat race and we can never get out of it. Heard this a long time ago and stuck with me. It said, even if you win the rat race, you're still a rat. Even if you win it, You're still just a rat. No, be all there. And secondly, when you slow down and connect with Jesus better, it allows you to hear the heart of those that you're with. There are so many examples of Jesus doing this. Where where, where Jesus is busy and he's in a hurry, but he pauses and he listens to somebody say a story, listens to somebody tell tell something that was life-changing. Never underestimate that that can happen to you too. And if you don't pause and stop for just a moment, you might miss that. And you might miss the fact that sometimes a simple conversation, like I mentioned earlier, something can be said that impacts that person's life in a way that you didn't even see coming. But it doesn't happen if you don't stop. If you don't allow time for that to happen. There's a story in Mark chapter 5. I don't have this one on the screen. I'm just going to read it to you. But in Mark chapter 5, Jesus is met by a man named Jairus, who's the leader of the synagogue. He's an important person. And he comes to Jesus with a very urgent need. His daughter is sick and she's about to die. And he knows Jesus can save her. So he says, please come to my house, Jesus. This is a time-sensitive thing. So they take off and they're walking through the crowds. And in Mark chapter 5, here's kind of how the story goes. 
um, it says that a woman was there walking through the crowds. A woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. She doesn't even touch him, just just his, his cloak. Touched his cloak because she thought, if I just get close enough and touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Imagine the faith on this woman. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Just imagine again the faith. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? This is elbow to elbow crowd. This this is like, you know, walking through the gates, going into a ballpark kind of crowd. There's just people everywhere. The disciples asked him, you see the people crowding around you, and yet you ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told the truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now this is a great story. This woman's faith healed her. She didn't even touch Jesus, she just touched his clothes. We've kind of forgotten about the the main person in the story here. Okay, jump into verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking to this woman, taking time, some people from the house of Jairus, remember that guy whose daughter's about to die? Came to him and said, your daughter's dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Can you just imagine being Jairus in this situation? Thanks, Jesus. This woman's bled for 12 years. She could have waited one more hour. Now my daughter's dead, thanks. All he had to do was come to my house and you would have healed her. And Jesus in verse 36 heard what they said, said, don't be afraid, just believe. And Jesus goes to her house, or goes to his house, and he raises the daughter from the dead. Death and blood, we see this play out again later at the cross. Through Jesus, for you. Folks, you may not always give yourself time for others but Jesus always gives time for you and because he does that we need to do the same for him and then ultimately for others as well too I don't know what kind of life you've got going on right now how busy it is how fast it is but can I just encourage you to let it breathe take a beat slow down work will still be there for you tomorrow Worry will still be there for you tomorrow. I challenge you last week for the rest of this year, for the next four months, take one day a week and don't do whatever it is that's your your main focus of of work. Do something instead that is something fun, something that brings joy to you, something that brings you peace. I don't know how God views our busyness, especially when it's in his name. All the time. I know, I know he, gets, he wants us to break. He wants us to pause. But I know this. I heard this line this week as I was preparing. That if patience is a fruit of the Spirit, then hurry most certainly is not. It, it can't be. It's going to be okay to stop. It's going to be okay to break. It's going to be okay to rest in him. Our world is obsessed with accomplishment 
and acquisition. Sabbath is our chance to abide. It's our chance to rest in him. Can you do this week, just take time and break. Take time and pause. Take time and be with him. Sabbath, it's a commandment, but it's a gift as well too. Make the most of it. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that you give us this gift. God, I know it's a hard one to follow. It's a hard one to accept sometimes because we feel like we're letting somebody down or we're letting ourselves down. or We we feel like, God, there is so much that can be done. Just give us that reminder that that's what we're supposed to do, to rest and abide in you. God, I'm so grateful that you invite us to abide in you, not just to with you, but in you. So God, help us be mindful of that. Help us always find those times to connect with Christ so that we can be better filled, better charged, better energized to go and minister in his name. We pray this in his name. Amen. Foreshadowing is a... uh tool that is used in literature and movies to kind of give some structure to a thought and a plot in the storyline so that later when it happens, you get it. It's like a revelation at that point. And the scriptures do a little bit of that as well. Um, But it's not a plot and it's not a scheme. It's actually God's plan. There's a weird story in Numbers where... um, the Israelites are walking through the wilderness and God's guiding them through and providing for their needs, but they're getting a little bit fed up with God because water is short, um, clothes are struggling, it's hot, it's in the desert, uh, and they've been eating manna a lot and they're so tired of it. And so they start complaining and grumbling to God. And then God, for some reason, brings some snakes out and they start biting the people of Israel, and these are poisonous snakes, and some people died, and it became a real epidemic at some point, and they started realizing, we've been grumbling to God, but he's been taking care of us, and I think that's a good quick lesson for us. Even when things are bad, stop complaining about it, because it could get worse. (laughs) But at some point, God said to Moses, or the people said to Moses, please pray to God for us because we, we realize we made a mistake. We should have just trusted in him. And so God, uh, Moses prayed, and God said to Moses, I need you to make a bronze snake, put it on a pole, and then when you hold it up, uh, anybody that gets bit by a snake, all they have to do is look at the bronze snake, and they will be healed, and they will not die. And um, I th- think that's pretty interesting because there's a, a scientific study that says that's not going to work. Uh, bronze snakes on a pole do not have any medical ramifications on a snake bite, and yet it worked. Um, and God said, anyone who looks up at the bronze snake will be healed, and they will not die. Flash forward to John chapter 3. And Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he says to Nicodemus this. i got to get my old man glasses out. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life. 
And then the scripture goes on to say, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish and have eternal life. But God did not send his Son into the world to condemn it, but to save the world through him. And now I'm going to paraphrase. Whoever believes and looks to the Son is not condemned. But whoever does not believe and does not look to the Son stands condemned already because they have not believed in the one who can take that snake bite of poison of sin away. This is God's plan from the beginning. I find it interesting that God didn't just destroy the snakes. He could have done that. It would have made more sense. But he did create a cure. All we have to do is humble ourselves and look to the solution. And for our sin, that is in Jesus Christ. So as we take our communion today, I want to encourage you to let this be a reminder, a constant reminder, that we need to stop looking at ourselves for solutions, stop looking at the world for solutions, and start looking to God's plan for the solution. And when we have sin that we struggle with and difficulties that we walk through, and even though we might be in a desert and we might feel like complaining, we always know that God's there with us and that he has sent his son to die on the cross so that when we look to him, he can heal us. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the love that you have for us and the fact that you created a long plan of what you wanted to do. You could have done it instantaneously, but you did it so that we can understand it. You did it so we can visualize it. You sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. But help us to not take that for granted. Help us to not forget how much difficult pain and trauma it was for you to do, go through that. But now we're on this side of it, and Jesus is victorious, and he's with you again. And he's calling for us to be with you as well. And I pray that you will help each of us just to look to you so that we may be healed and have eternal life.